This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to your Nona Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this evening, as ever, is your regular panel, James Bird and Kevin Robinson. We have lots to talk about from a very eventful seven days in all things Claret and Blue. We've also got some transfer activity to talk through as well, so let's get on with this week's show. And what better place to start than a dream trip once again to our friends down the road at Ewood Park. The Clarets cruise to a 2-0 victory over our strugglers from League One in the Carabao Cup. Kevin, that's seven games now unbeaten that we've had against our neighbours. It's all just getting a little bit easy now, don't you think? Seven games in seven years, I think it is, um, it is. since since we beat us. So, yeah, it's fantastic. And it was... Um, you you looked at the the tweet what Burnley officials sent out before the match with uh, with the lineup, and there were so many fans... I think almost every every response to that tweet was fans complaining that the team wasn't strong enough and being really worried um, because we did was it eight changes we made and you, you watch the match and it certainly didn't show we even even after making eight changes we were far and away the better team we we embarrassed them for pretty much the whole match really which is it really shows how far how far we've come and how far they've gone. It was um, it was a fantastic match. I'm not going to complain about about it being too easy over the rival. We're becoming <laughs> too uh, too one sided. For me, it can continue. We had to put up. Uh, obviously, I'm only 27, so until until we beat them, however long it go ago it was, we, we had to hear them going on about 34 years and the phenomenal run they had against us. So I'm going to enjoy this uh, this for as long as it lasts. Yeah, and so we should as well. Um, James, Kevin touched on that briefly, and one thing I wanted to chat through with you is is the fact that Burnley did make those changes to the side, but maybe not as many as they did against Accrington last season, but they certainly made enough changes that it was almost our second side that still beat them comfortably and still showed a real gulf in class between the sides. I mean, do you think that's particularly indicative of the strength of our squad now and how, I think as Dyche said, we don't have fringe players anymore? Or is it just that they have just got that bad now? I think it's a little bit of both, maybe. Um, obviously, Dash has talked a lot in his time with us about the, the group. And, you know, I think teamwork makes the dream work. And uh, I think that showed at, at Rovers. You know, we were able to bring in players who maybe haven't played so much. But um, they still look like they're all on the same page and obviously ended up with the result we were looking for. 
teamwork. I love that little metaphor that you put in there. <laughs> That's very, very amusing. Um, obviously, the, the result of the, the, the win means that with Burnley, they were in the next round of the draw, which, which was drawn at a ludicrous time at 4.15 in the morning. So I think most of us missed it. But Clarets are now going to host Leeds United at Turf Moor. Kevin, are you happy with that draw? Yeah, I think that's a it's a nice draw. It's um it's going to be a an interesting match. Obviously, uh, we've got two former former Leeds players in in the squad now from this summer. I think Taylor sounds like he'll get quite a good reception. I'm assuming he'll play, uh, but with Wood, I'm pretty sure won't get a good reception. There's been a lot of no, an, definitely a lot of animosity bet- uh, towards their former top scorer from Leeds fans, particularly even so after after his goal at the weekend, Leeds fans trying to play it down. And I saw one fan say, you know, it's only it was only a tapping, and we only got a draw. So what? Um, Leeds fans were almost doing their best to convince themselves that they won't miss Wood. So yeah. that, that adds a, <laughs> a little bit of a more tasty edge to the match. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it definitely does. I'm quite surprised, really, that the the level of of hatred that's being pushed towards Wood, and especially as as I think Taylor also had a little bit of a, a wobble towards the end of his Leeds career, didn't he? He refused to play for his last game as well, and he doesn't he doesn't seem to have quite had the same level of um as, as grief that that um that woods had james where do you sit now with the cup i mean i think when we drew blackburn in the in the first round that we played in i think everybody was just quite just wanted to to beat them and that became what we were focused on now that game's over do you want to see us have another cup run or are you genuinely not bothered about this now and, and wouldn't really pay an awful lot of attention to the cup uh, I think it's wrong to not not pay attention to cups. You know, it may not have uh, the same status in the game it has done previously um, anymore. Uh, obviously, a lot of the big teams don't necessarily put the best sides out, but for a team like us, so bottom half of the Premier League, um, it's a real opportunity I think to to get somewhere in a competition and um, not have it distract too much from the league because you can put out more of a one and a half second string sort of. Uh, line up um, and obviously it's a great opportunity to to play some of the players who aren't getting into the the first team uh, obviously we've had a good start to the season so it's difficult to see where you'd want to give Woody's first start or obviously where you want to give Taylor his first Premier League start so yeah, to right. give them these games I think that's really good for them uh, and just really helps them bed into the side and it it gives our, ch- our players a chance to maybe express themselves in ways that um you wouldn't expect them to away to Chelsea and away to Spurs and, um, you know, in the high pressure games. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's, it's a challenge for us. And and I think Leeds won't be um, a rollover at all. I think they'll be really focused on, on doing well in a cup. I think it's, it's a good opportunity for them to get, uh, to get a deep run and and to get some experience in, um, for their players this season and I certainly think that they will be a much tougher um, opposition than obviously Blackburn were so I'm expecting a tough game at Turf but I think you're right James I think certainly even if we make the same changes that we made for the first game I certainly think we've got enough to beat them um, so let's I think let's wrap that up there so I think we all enjoyed um, the Blackburn game very very much and I think we all enjoyed your tweets coming through so please do make sure you, you keep sending us your, your memories of the Blackburn games fans because we did very much enjoy those um, but it's time to move on and look at the second half of the week which saw Burnley 
Draw 1-1 away at Spurs in the new Wembley Stadium, which to many of us actually felt like a real victory in the end. It was a very, very late equaliser from Mr Wood. It was a very hard-working and a relentless performance by the Clarets, and it was just desserts that they got the points that their performance really did deserve in the end. We've now got four points this season, and all four of those points are away from home, so it's a very stark contrast to our away performances last season. James, I'm going to start dissecting the Spurs game by looking at the team selection, actually, before we even got onto the pitch. Jeff Hendrick missing with um, a thigh injury, which I believe isn't too serious, but is was enough to see him benched and actually out of the island side as well. Um there was a lot of talk as to how Deitch would handle this early loss of a, such a key player to our midfield. And in the end, he stuck with the 4-5-1 formation, but put Arfield in there when many thought he might put Westwood in instead. Um, do you think there was ever a case for Westwood being put in or was it always going to be Arfield? I think simply it's a case of not wanting to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, you don't want to take out the two... Well, to change up the way you've, you've had that midfield running with the Defoe and Cork playing further back and then obviously Hendrick in front of them. Um, to me, at least, Westwood's not a player who can do the role that Hendrick was playing, um, whereas it's more in our field skill set, definitely more in our field skill set than playing a more defensive central midfield role is. Um, I think it's as simple as that, really. You know, looking at what players are capable of doing, that more advanced central midfield is more like playing on the wing. So I think that's why our field was the choice ahead of Westwood. I think Arfield's been the victim of quite a bit of criticism recently as to a loss of form and that seemed to have turned around. Um, Kevin, do you agree with that? Would you have gone for Arfield? I know you've been critical in the past. Uh, before the match, no, certainly not. Um, I, I was disappointed to see Arfield's uh, start. I, I, I do like Westwood and Arfield's rarely performed well in the middle. Um, but I think he actually played phenomenally well. I think he was fantastic. And I think actually perhaps fitting into that, that five-man midfield really helped him. I think criticism, my criticism of him playing in the middle previously has been around he's not really been able to control the game as you, as you need to in a 4-4-2. With a five-man midfield, he had, he had that bit more freedom to create and not have the responsibility to deliver the team shape. And I actually really like that he wasn't afraid to run the defenders and take them on. I think that was probably unexpected from the, the Spurs defenders. I think he's got that Grafton guile, which isn't particularly common in the Premier League. And without wanting to get too carried away by, by one game, and I know I've been very critical of Arfield in the past, certainly in midfield, uh, sorry, certainly in the centre, I do wonder if he's got a much bigger role for us than I, than I expected him to have this season by playing in, in central midfield. Um, I think he was a lot more effective in the centre on Sunday than he was out wide in, in any game last season. I don't think he, if he can play like that in the centre and have that freedom and, and catch players off guard in that, that kind of unorthodox style of play he's got, then potentially he's got he's got a big role for us in, in central midfield, which is not yeah. something I expected to be saying today. No, I agree with you. It's certainly not something that I'd thought of easier, but I think you're right. I think there is an opportunity there and perhaps that's quite a surprise plan B that maybe Deitch wasn't thinking of. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that goes for the rest of the season. Um, Kev, sticking with you, we get to half-time and it's it's nil-nil and, and the, the reports coming through obviously were that the Clarets were playing very well. I think all the media outlets were saying we were very organised and we actually we were being quite attacking as well and we were being positive in our play. Um, very disappointing then, I think, by all standards to see the goal go in just after half... Sorry, just after the second half had started. Um, I feel a little disappointed by the goal. I felt that our defence were a little static in the box. I think there was a little bit of, of ball watching and, and, and ended up being a, a goal that I think that they're going to be quite disappointed to concede. 
Do you think that me and Tarkovsky particularly have settled in yet, or do you think there's still quite a lot of work to do to get us to the defensive standard we were at last year? I think we talked a bit about me and Tarkovsky last week, and I don't think this goal was a symptom of any issues there. I think, actually, on the contrary, I think they contained some huge attacking forces which Spurs have got. You've got to look at some of the players that they've got in the squad and some of the goals they scored last season. We, for for most of the game, we really kept them at bay. And we really struggled to get to get anything towards Tom Heaton. There was five minutes spell in the, in the second half when Tom Heaton was called upon three or four times and did very well. But other than that, I can't really remember him being uh, particularly trouble, which is really testament to the way they they played together. I think Tarkovsky was beaten soundly by Kane at one point in the second half, but made me read that really well to to force Kane into a tight angle, which is another another example of him working well together. Uh, so I'm not concerned about that at all. I think they've they've, they've both played very well together over the weekend. Um, the goal, like you say, I think the goal's disappointing, but I think that's it. I don't think it's concerning or indicative of anything we need to be worrying about. I think it all came down to that flick-on, which is not something... I, I like the near post flick on. I don't think it's something you see you see a lot of, but it worked really really effectively. It really caught caught us off guard. And you look at Ben Mee and he's. I've watched it about twenty times actually that goal before this recording because it's so there's so many different things going on. I think Ben Mee just, he just loses balance. He's, he's expecting the ball to come across and he has to twist his body and, and reshape himself when that the flick comes across. And because of that, he goes to swing at it, but. I think his his body weighting has, has has changed so much that he just he can't get that connection properly and ends up just stumbling backwards and it's it's just obviously it's 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 luck really I think it was well crafted by Spurs they designed it very well um, I think at, at that point when Ben Mee misses the ball both teams actually players from both teams almost stand there not really not really able to react instantly I think um, while the ball remains at his feet everybody's it, nothing happens for a second it's quite weird but the whole every, every player is stood there um and it, it, so i think in that respect it's it's all quite a, a freak incident in that in, in that respect um for me i don't think me was particularly at fault like i said i think he he tried to whack it but he just lost balance for me there were a couple of other players where you you might look at it and think okay you could have done better again no no big i, I don't think there's any big pointers to be had no big um blame to be had but i think Tarkovsky's beaten at the near post header, which I don't think he did anything particularly wrong. If he maybe reacted to the run of quarter of a second earlier, he might have uh, been able to put a bit more of a challenge in. But Cork loses his man uh, far too easily, which is uh, which is the most disappointing aspect for me. They're able to get the shot in because obviously Cork losing his man contributes to. But Vox for me is stood in the middle of nowhere with no. Spurs player anywhere near him so I think mm, Vox could yeah. have done better to react a little bit better and, and close out that because I think there's two Spurs players uh, with lots of space in front of them and Vox is stood to the side if he runs in he, he blocks that for me yeah, um, similarly Ward uh, Stephen Ward is, is rooted to the spot with no Spurs player near him and he almost looks like he, he just doesn't know what to do he doesn't know whether to go left right forward so he's stood there in no man's land having no impact and then because Ward is stood there doing nothing, Arfield has to race off the post to run into the space where Ward should have gone to. And that, in turn, opens up a gap a gap on the post which the ball found its way into. So, And a couple of players could have reacted a little bit quicker. Yeah. But all in all, 
Spurs are a good team. Yeah, and... I was just going to say that it's it's hard to criticise, isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? We're talking about a team that for the last two seasons have been pushing for the Premier League title and who've got some world class forwards, and it's always very difficult to criticise our players for being outdone or, or maybe not matching their skill because they don't match their skill. They aren't standard of players, but um, it is all a learning curve for the rest of the season because I think these kind of I don't, I'm hesitant to use the word false because I think on the, over the whole it was a, a really good performance but it's these kind of um, pointers in the game that they can really help to develop these players to become much more um, much more effective Premier League players and to actually get some confidence to play against these players I, I really do believe that um, James one thing that was really pleasing to see was an immediate reaction to Burnley. And I think this shows for me the difference between Burnley away this season already and the Burnley team away from home last season. In that last season, we saw a little bit of a pattern emerging where when we went a goal behind, you kind of felt that they, that was it, game over, they were not going to win. Um, they didn't have enough in them to turn the game around. Um, and particularly from the bench as well. In Deitch made um, a double substitution relatively early once on made a double substitution relatively early on, um, switched to a 4-4-2 formation and it made an immediate impact. Um, do you think that that was the turning point in the game and do you think that Deitch has actually learnt now how to be more effective, particularly away from home in this league? I think we've been a little bit smarter about how we play. Um, I assume that's probably going to apply for at home as well, but obviously we've only had the one game so far to, to judge on. But I think, you know, we've, we've taken from our experiences particularly last season that um, a lot of these away games we didn't play badly um, you know we didn't necessarily deserve the results we came away with um, but we've learned that sometimes you can't just keep plodding on with the same thing even if you feel like you're not doing anything wrong um, sometimes you, you do have to change things um, even if it's not sort of staring you in the face and, and being obvious that things aren't working out sometimes you just need to make a change and it you know, brings a spark and it, it achieves something positive. Um, and that just seems to be what, what we've tried to do so far. Obviously, we had a little bit of a look at Chelsea, obviously, with the the sending-offs. Um, you know, if Cahill doesn't get sent off early on, then maybe it's a completely different game. But at the same time, I think we've learnt there as well. We've shown that previously we've struggled against uh, teams that have had sending-offs. Um, but we've seen that you have to keep pushing on. You have to keep trying to push the game forward. Um, you can't sort of sit back and, and just try and contain and be happy with your lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Kevin, turning to the reaction and certainly how we got something out of the game was, albeit a very, very late equaliser, from our debut man, Mr Wood, who managed to put that ball in the back of the net. Um, I'll come on to the build-up to the goal and certainly Brady's contribution shortly, but just how vital is it now going to be to have Wood as an option to come on the bench or even to start games? I think personally, before we signed him, we do not get anything out of this game because we just simply don't have the options to try and push forward and get a goal from that position. Um, surely he's got to now be the key to our survival this season. Yeah, I think there were certainly question marks raised over the, the need for Wood when we were first linked with him and indeed when we first signed him. Is he the same player as Vox? Is there enough difference? Particularly, certainly after, after selling Andrea Gray and people were expecting us to bring in a bit more of a, a quicker striker one game and one goal doesn't prove anything but it's, it's a it's a hell of a start isn't it I think he looked a lot more different to Vokes than, than I expected to him to actually I think he was a lot more 
he could, his movement was a lot better. He, I think he was a bit more comfortable running onto balls, a bit more comfortable with the ball at his feet, and a bit more physical. The, I know you said we'll talk about it a bit later, but the, the ball from Brady. Brady did a, ball, a similar ball um, 10 minutes earlier, actually, from even yeah, even deeper. And Wood was very unlucky to be beaten by uh, by Loris in the goal, who did so well to yeah, to, to race yeah. out and deny him. But for, both those balls were, were very similar from Brady. And those were the types of balls I was calling out all last season yeah, to, yeah. to see us to provide for Gray, because that's the sort of ball what Gray really needed. It looks like Wood's going to thrive off from the season, which is fantastic as well. If we can get Brady and, and the likes of Defoe playing in those balls, and, and Wood running onto them because so that's two. He wasn't on the, the pitch for too long, but he ran onto two of those balls, and he, on a, another day he could have had two goals from for both of those balls. So yeah, we could have ended up winning it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really encouraging for me because that's for if we can. It's it's that's we've not got another striker who can really enjoy that type of ball into a box. So like we say, it's something different we can provide. So that's yeah. uh, that's really encouraging. Also, what a fantastic strike it was! He hit it so oh, sweetly. Oh God, wasn't it just so, it, so instantly as well? You know. I think many players would have um, taken a touch there and he just he hit it straight away and it went back. He's got a lot of confidence, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he, he's always looking for the goal. And it, I think some of the criticism levied his way from Leeds fans who are potentially obviously a little bit bitter about his departure were very much potentially. the Leeds. Potentially. <laughs> it's another one of those potential midfield problems, a potential Leeds problem. Um, he... Sorry, a lot of the criticism that was headed his way was that he needs too many chances and he misses quite a lot. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that um, at the Blackburn game, and I was a little, I had that in the back of my mind, thinking, oh, you know, is does he struggle to put more chances away than he misses? But he, even if that is the case, and we had just haven't seen enough evidence yet to to assess that, he doesn't seem to get frustrated by the chances that he misses. He doesn't seem to lose his focus, and he doesn't seem to snatch at, at goals and chances and, and maybe rush things. He maintains his composure, and he still looks for the next one, and he just lets it go out of his head, and he just moves on to the next one. Um, I'm really impressed with his performance, and I agree with you, Kevin. I think whilst we were initially concerned that we had two players who were too similar... What we do now have is a continuation of the same tactics that we want to use, but we can replace like for like in the inevitable when Sam does get tired or maybe he's not getting you know, the, the space that he needs. We have got that option and it's great. Um, James, just finally back to you, and, and Kevin has touched on this. What a ball from Brady. Um, he's looking like a completely different player this season, isn't he? I think that's a, a very fair thing to say. Yeah, he's coming this season, I think, looking like the player we expected when... You know, we spent this, the amount of money we did on him. Um, he was a little bit disappointing. I think he, he'd probably accept that himself. Um, you know, after coming in at the end of last season, he didn't really seem to have the the final ball. Um, didn't really seem to make a you know a mark on any games really. Obviously, he scored that great goal for his uh, first one at home from the free kick. Um, but even the rest of that game, he was pretty much anonymous, and that was the only time he sort of made an appearance. But already this season, we've seen that he's you know, he's been very active. Um, the ball for Wood, obviously, is fantastic. It's it's a while since we've seen anyone not called Stephen Defoe play a ball like that in the in the Burnley side. And now, you know, you see the way he's come on from the end of last season. Uh, we brought Jack Cork in, who's another great pass for the ball. And Stephen Defoe's back in favour. Uh, and it looks like we could get some really good service to our strikers. I mean, it's almost a shame that we don't have Andre Gray anymore to uh, chase the balls down. But um, it's definitely a good positive that we've, we're getting those balls in the midfield and um, 
hopefully Brady can keep it up as, as long as the season goes. And I think there might be a little bit to say as well for obviously the amount of Irish players in the squad. It's probably helped him to to settle. Um, obviously he spent a bit of time with them on international duty as well and it's probably really helped him kick on. He mentioned, uh, yeah, you mentioned Defoe there, and it reminded me of one of the tweets I saw uh, from from Mike Landers after the match, who said, I thought Defoe's cross for Vokes at Chelsea was gorgeous, but that Brady ball for Wood was pure art. I thought it was fantastic. Um, another tweet I saw as well from Heisenbeard, I think is how you might say that. Heisenbeard, who said, Wood's run is mental. He starts a good four or five seconds before Brady starts a pass. That's NFL levels. Uh, and it was a fantastic <laughs> run as well. You know, we talk, we've talked about the finish, but the, the run to lead yeah, up to the finish really was also fantastic as well. It was a really good goal. And, and I think for me, some of the players that we are passing at the moment and some of the um, goals and chances that we're creating, for me, just shows that we are starting to believe in ourselves and we're starting to act and play like we are a properly deserved Premier League side. I don't feel... I feel like we're making improvements and they may not be as quick as people want them to be and they may not be as strong as other sides have when they've been promoted. But we are getting there and everything feels like it's getting stronger and everything feels like it's getting better. Just another thing on that wood goal though as well and I thought this was really surprising to see. Kieran Trippier was really poor for it. Um, yeah, you know, he I was. Felt he, he should have had wood, he should have been tracking wood. Uh, and I think you can almost see in the um, reverse angle um you know, as the ball was clearly going in, you see that body language on Trippier sort of droop. Uh, so yeah, I just, I just thought it was. I just thought it was. <laughs> I wonder where you were no, going I just, with that I just then, James. It was really surprising <laughs> to see, um, you know, Trippier play that way for for that that you know that goal, um, especially yeah. when we all thought he'd probably Actually, take his chance this season. Yeah, I think one one quick point, I'm glad you mentioned that actually, James, is that I have um, a close friend of mine who's a Spurs fan and he sent me a message on, on Facebook after the game and said, seriously, if I ever see Kieran Trippier play that badly again, you can have him back gladly. And it felt quite disappointing from, from Trippier's perspective because, James, like you say, we're expecting him to really take his chances season. Um, a lot of Spurs fans seem to be criticising um, Trippier for pace, which seemed to be quite surprising to us, knowing how fast and how pacey we know Trippier can be. I wonder whether Spurs have rushed him back from that little injury that he had just pre-season, because obviously they don't have that many um, options at right back um, now Walker's gone. So I do yeah. wonder whether or not he was struggling a little bit for pace and he just wasn't 100% there. It was, it was initially reported that he wasn't going to be fit until after our match, wasn't it? So... But he's been yeah. he's played he's played a couple of games he's now, so I was, I was I think surprised. Brought yeah, him back too quickly. It is, but no, that's a, that's a really good roundup of the Spurs game. And I think moving on away from that now, something that we all were very excited about was, of course, the fact that this season Spurs are playing all their games at Wembley. And that's our national stadium. And every team who plays away in the Premier League at Spurs this season is going to have a chance to play at that fantastic stadium. This week, we've been looking at Wembley memories to have a consideration as to what your special thoughts are of that stadium. Now, it's quite unusual for teams to play a league game at Wembley, although some people, I think, do consider a playoff final to be a league game, but no. certainly not one that's scheduled. I know Kevin doesn't agree with this. It is a, it is a cup final, isn't it, the, the, uh, the playoff final? But we asked you on Twitter this week to give us your memories of what you think is special about Wembley. Um, Mike Landers, who Kevin just mentioned a moment ago, he spoke to us about the 1994 cup final, um, the playoff final at the old Wembley. And he said to us that the old Wembley was a 
complete dump, which is a little harsh, Mike, but okay, we'll let you have that one. He said, but it did have a very neat trick. You could walk from a dark, horrible concourse into a bowl where the pitch and thousands upon thousands of Clarets fans illuminated by the sun. Parky scored the slowest 20-yarder ever, but half of Wembley went crazy. Tears at full time, all illuminated by God's own floodlights. I think I think our Mike was getting a little emotional there, but that's a great one. Um, John um, also tweeted in also about the 1994 Wembley final. And he said, after giving Kevin Francis pelters all game, the Burnley fans clapped him off the field, saluting an opponent who'd given his all. Um, Kevin James, it's such a special place to go and play. I mean... What are your memories of, of Wembley? Kevin, you start with you. What's your favourite memory of that game? Um, well, I've only been to Wembley once and, and we won, which is fantastic in uh, <laughs> the in 2009 when Wade Elliott smashed that fantastic goal oh. into the top corner. Someone tweeted, um, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. Someone tweeted before before the game on Sunday a picture of uh, Wade Elliott's corner, um, which was oh. the top of a goal. Uh, which I thought was uh, thought, thought was fantastic. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I don't actually remember much from that game. I remember almost missing the train at Milton Keynes beforehand. Uh, my, my cousin and I had to run onto the and stand on the door of the train while my mum caught up, which was uh, so we almost didn't get there because we had an advanced ticket, so we almost didn't get to the match. But um, I don't really know why, but I never ever recall. I, I recall never ever thinking about winning. That like not for a single, not the the days leading up to the match. Oh not, really? That's really interesting. Not waiting for the match to begin. Not even while we were winning for the majority of the match. I didn't even contemplate when I just didn't didn't cross my mind at all. Um, so when that when the whistle blew, it just it just struck me immediately what yeah, what that phenomenal. meant is that we'd won at Wembley, and we were now a Premier League team. And I remember. Oh. Um, it's the only time, the only time I've ever, I've ever cried at a football match, and I think it was, oh, God. <laughs> it was, I, I think there was, there was part of it was that it was, it was that instant because I, I just realised instantly, okay, we've won at Wembley, um, and then a few seconds, moments later, I started to realise, I started to think back to my, um, my dad who died when I was younger, and um, he was a huge claret. He took me on to, you know, my, took me on to, you know, reserve games and got me in claret and blue shorts, shirts and full kit and everything. Just thinking about how much he would have, uh, yeah, he'd have loved to have seen us yeah, become would. a become a Premier League team. So, yeah, that's my. I, I don't remember a lot from the day. I think it was it was just a big blur. But th- those two things in terms of me, almost missing my train and then, um, yeah, the, the reaction the after the match. That's yeah. uh, that's what I remember so so clearly. Yeah, I mean, that game itself, obviously, the, the playoff final, um, of course, the regular listeners will have seen um, this season I that we interviewed Stephen Caldwell, who, of course, was our um, captain back at the time. And he led the team out to that Wembley victory. Um, Kevin, do you want to just introduce our little snippet of Mr Caldwell? Yeah, like, like I said, we, we spoke to Stephen Caldwell just, be, uh, just before the summer, who was obviously our triumphant captain during our our previous trip to Wembley and, and our last proper trip trip to Wembley because like I said league games don't count for me I, the playoff final wasn't a league game and for me um, I think I said a, a couple of weeks ago for me the, the magic of Wembley has been ruined a little bit by um, having Le- uh, Spurs play there, there, there this season so on our last proper trip to Wembley this is what Stephen Caldwell uh, Burnley legend uh, said about what the experience meant to him I never try to um rate my my sort of accomplishments and victories in my career but the more the longer uh, it goes on that I'm retired I, I think about that day and I, 
I think if I'm truly honest or I'm on my deathbed, I'd have to choose that day because it was so special. And um, again, I just had such a strong feeling of we can't lose this game. I've, I've, I've never really felt it in my career. I've felt it two or three times. And we, we got in the bus, we got to the stadium. We were late because we were so far away and traffic was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and again, no, no um, anxiety, just no pressure. Everybody just joking on the bus, having a laugh, you know, just kind of being really relaxed and calm. Um, and then getting out there in the field uh, was amazing. It was, you know, difficult not to let the kind of experience uh, overwhelm you or become like, you know, trying to focus on a game is very difficult when you're part of such a spectacle like that. When the final whistle went, the, the you know, the emotion that I went through, that everybody went through was just incredible I, I fell in the turf and, and broke down crying and um, it was just an amazing experience and you know then to walk these steps and it's I get kind of emotional thinking back about it, it was that oh nice memories James I'm assuming that your favourite Wembley memories are also of the the 2009 playoff final well I've actually been to Wembley twice oh um, okay yeah I saw I saw the Minnesota Vikings beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in uh 2013, great day day in front of 83,000 people, (laughs) but I do think, uh, obviously seeing us get promoted to the Premier League for the first time, edges it out by uh, some margin, Um, what I really remember about the day is actually it being ridiculously hot, and that I overdressed, I remember being on the tube to uh, Wembley, wearing like a long sleeve shirt under my Burnley shirt, and I think the fact that I was getting that warm as a classic Northerner who can't handle more than 16 <laughs> degrees. That was my uh, that was the only thing that was making me worried about the game. I wasn't worried we wouldn't be able to beat them. I was thinking, oh, well, it's too hot for the players. You know, <laughs> It's not normally like this at the turn. It was a hot day, wasn't it? I remember it's fantastic. that. fantastic. Right. It was. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that's what Wade Elliott said. He was actually, uh, his celebration was about, he's telling everyone to calm down because he re- his original reaction was he wanted to run the full length of the pitch to uh, <laughs> oh, to yes. see his family. Yeah, uh, but that. he knew if he'd done that, he wouldn't be able to last 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah I, I remember that, actually. It was a ridiculously hot day. And, uh, but that just kind of meant the atmosphere after, before the game was even more special because everybody was outside. Everyone was down Wembley Way. Everybody was drinking. There was like Even the scarves in the air, so obviously they weren't wearing them because it was too hot. But it just... It just felt like everything fell right for us. It just felt like we were a little bit fitter than they were. It felt we were better to cope with the heat. The fans were all on good form. Um, I agree with both of you. I think, um, you know, that whole day was just something very, 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 very the, special. The fans definitely were exceptional. Yeah, and occasionally I still like to watch the, the DVD. Um, and there's a few moments in the game, where I think, late on, where... Uh, the fans start singing E-I-E-I-E-I-O and just the way it sort of picks up and it's the whole end and particularly if you listen to it in stereo and you can hear only one side uh, obviously making noise on the other side deathly silent as they realised they were a little bit disappointing weren't they the the Sheffield United fans I thought well there wasn't that many of them in the first place but yeah that and obviously just conceding so early meant they were deflated the whole way through it was very uh probably very nerve-wracking for them and obviously it's been downhill since really for the most part until obviously last season and can we can we quickly pay tribute to the two very iconic moments of the day which were um of course the duff dance oh um, yes which continues to continues to amuse uh, and also the bad beat bobs 
got their uh, got a bit of run they out at the did. end, didn't they? Of course, I'd forgotten that that was all that season. That was a big season for us that year, with everything that went on with the the the, the league cup heartache and like say um, Robbie's pants and just duffers dance. It was just such a mass. And was that the season as well, or was it the season after where we had Chris Eagles Ferrari um, uproar? And it was just it was such a. a it felt like it was a real change. I thought it was wasn't a Lamborghini. It? Yeah, or was it a Lamborghini? I, I knew I'm it was I'm pretty sure that was excessive. the season after. I think he bought it. With or was his, it with his, his bonus? bonus yeah. <laughs> oh, but no, and, and then you look back on it, and you know we played all those games, and it turns out all oh, our players were drinking uh, Iron Brew almost exclusively. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, listeners, I'm going to leave this segment, and I'm going to leave you with some notes from Brendan Flood, who we all know, uh, Burnley director, who was obviously. Um, a key member of that board when the Clarets first won promotion to the Premier League. In his book, he summed up in one paragraph how he felt at Wembley. For my part, I was struggling to talk as I was trying my best to take it all in. To see the Clarets walking out onto the Wembley turf and to see the mass of 37,000 Burnley fans, a waving sea of Claret and Blue was a culmination of everything that Owen and the team had worked so hard for. This had to be our day. We might not get the chance again. I tried to watch what the players were doing and then I spotted Owen just pointing to his cheek as the camera was looking at him in the lineup. He told me later that he was making sure they got his best side. I probably wasn't the best person to sit next to because I was fully focused on the game and not particularly talkative. For the very first time, I felt nervous and as the match kicked off in the opening 10 minutes, the team looked edgy as well. And then the unbelievable yet almost inevitable happened. Wade picked up the ball in the middle of the pitch and went on one of his mazy, speedy runs, leaving two Sheffield players behind. He got the ball to Chris McCann on the edge of the box and then as the ball bounced back to him from about 25 yards, he unleashed a swinging shot that flew into the top left corner of the net. So keep them coming, guys. We really enjoyed your Wembley memories this week. And I think that was a really nice way um, from a league fixture just to have a look at some really good times that Burnley fans have enjoyed recently. And let's just keep them coming. I think we've already touched on previous podcasts of what business we've done and what we've, we've been pleased about this season. Uh, but starting with you, Kevin, where do you think we need to concentrate on strengthening in the next 48 hours? I think um, I think we're we're still looking for a for pacey striker, aren't we? By reports, um, we've had uh, is it is it Warris? Is it who's I don't know how, how I don't yeah, yeah I think it's Warris Abdul Majid Warris yeah Burnley Express reports we've had a an eight million pound bid turned down so we're obviously still in the hunt for for another striker suggestions that that Barnes I think as we as we touched on last week Barnes could make way if that happens um, so. I, I, I'd, I'd welcome a pacey strike. We've talked about Wood giving us a different option and it'd just be nice to have a, another different option out there, which is very different to what we've got. For me, I'm still looking for us to bring in some uh, some cover at the back. I don't think we need to sign a, a first-choice central defender. I think James Tarkovsky and uh, Ben Mee have done reasonably well and I think they'll continue to grow into the season. And actually, I think, I think it's actually really important that Tarkovsky remains first-choice Purely, in, I think he, he's done. He, he's shown a lot of patience, and if Sean Dyche was to uh, then just replace him, I think it sends a bad a bad message to the players who are who are in the who are not quite in the eleven. Just if they're waiting for their chance, and then he signs a new defender that says you know you're going to get replaced instantly. So I think I don't think we need another first choice central defender, but I do think we need some some backup there. If um, if Ben Mee or or James Tarkovsky or even both of them get 
um, get injured or suspended, then we're into a bit of a, a bit of trouble there. So I'd, I'd like us to bring in another player back there, um, potentially another another wide player. Other than that, I think I think I, I'm I'm really really happy with the squad actually. So I think it, it's mostly cover really. I think with the, the first eleven, I, I'm really happy with. Yeah. I think I just like us to bring in some more cover out wide, some more cover in central defence, and a, a different option to to go up up top. Yeah, I think I agree. But James, what's your thoughts on that? Do you agree with Kevin or do you have something else that you want to bring in? Um, no, I think it's you know pretty clear what we need. It's the same we've needed for you know the last couple of weeks since we last spoke about it. A pacey striker's probably on the you know, on the cards. Um as a real replacement for Gray, it probably does mean that, you know, someone like Barnes might be able to leave. Um and a, a centre back because Tarkovsky actually worth mentioning I thought had a much improved game against Spurs compared to um our other games at you know in the Premier League this season where I think he's maybe been one of a couple of people you could pin the goals on um each time. Uh, so just really those those two. Um I've not really heard much on the, the centre back recently, so I don't know whether it's something we're gonna manage to get done, but um hopefully we can get an extra couple of bodies into the squad just yeah. to make sure we're protected really against injuries and suspensions. Yeah, I would agree with both of those. I think the the right side of midfield concerns me a little bit. I'm not entirely sure what pacey options we have if Goodmanson gets himself injured again. I think that's probably the weakest area, so I'd quite like to see us have some cover there. I know Walters can play at that side, but I'm not entirely sure that he can match the pace of Goodmanson. Um, and I agree with both of what you said. I think you know cover for, for centre-half would be... Um, ideal and yeah as Kevin said a different option up front if we do need to change formation slightly Um, slightly worrying from an outgoing perspective Um, I don't think we've had too much in terms of of concern about outgoing players but there's a persistent rumour this week that Wolves are after Ashley Barnes do you let him go or do you think it's too important to have him as cover I I think if we if we bring in uh, another striker then I think it it does open up open up for one of the other strikers to leave, which it it would almost certainly be be Barnes. So, yeah, I think we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think he's been a fantastic player for us and I, I love him to bits. I think he's um, he's really... He re- Burnley fans really take him to heart because he's had a real impact. He's scored some massive goals. I think pretty much every goal he's scored for us has been absolutely huge. And he really plays with that, that passion which fans want to see. Yeah, um, he does. But if... I do think we need a different option up front, and if you bring in another striker, we've just got so many, so many four players then that one of them's just just not going to play at all. So it does open up, up up that space for someone to leave. So it's not that I want Barnes to leave; I absolutely don't want him to leave. But my desire for us to have a different option outweighs that. And if we do bring bring in that new player, then it, it probably does mean that Barnes has to leave. Yeah, it kind of feels like Barnes is that we've outgrown him, doesn't it? I think. And like I say, we maybe touched on this with Arfield, perhaps unfairly when we've we've discussed earlier on that perhaps he's going to have a, a more important role than we maybe thought at the beginning of the season. But for certain fringe players now, like Ashley Barnes, I feel like the team's outgrown him and I feel like he is better suited now to a different squad than one we've got here. And that wraps up everything for this week's show. Kevin, James, thank you once again for joining me. It has been a pleasure as usual. Um, But thanks go predominantly to you, the listeners, for downloading this week's podcast and for joining us as ever. We would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the None and Ever podcast. Until next time.
First up though, we're going to start with the defeat at Accrington Stanley in the EFL Cup. Um, Lukas Jokovic continued to look nothing like a goal scorer. Um, I think Kiteley got round the back and pulled it across. And it might have been a shot, it might have been a cross. And, like, any any striker worth the salt would have been on that ball like a flash and it's tapping. Duke was sort of hanging around behind the defender. But he has been linked with a move away. Natalie, I suppose it's kind of inevitable given it's, I think it's now 41 appearances without scoring a goal for the club. I'm still a little bit, even though it is Djokovic, I'm still a little bit nervous about us um, getting rid of players in this window considering the disappointing incomings that we've had. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.